Anno Amagium. Episode 16. Albedo Abluccio. Sevardin Harker. Lunday. Ophiuchus 23rd. 5.24 p.m. 23.44 a.a. Los Angeles. 101. In Sev's opinion, most people misapprehended Los Angeles. They thought of it in the terms of other great cities, New Amsterdam, London, Tokyo. But it didn't have the same sort of interminable metropolitan density, with the exception of downtown, which tourists often described as smaller than expected. The city's actual body was an expanse of distinctive neighborhoods with blurred borders and the streets that smeared them. Streets and freeways are arteries for most cities, but they are the limbs and boughs of Los Angeles. The city came of age with cars, and as a result, it became the automotive commuter capital of the world. But as the population swelled, cars became increasingly essential and ubiquitous. By 2330, the city's majestic roadways gridlocked on a nightly basis. But in 2335, the engineers, asphalus artificers, and runic coders at Caltech reached out to the Imagium with a potential solution. The lightways, temporary ghostly roads that threaded their way through buildings and above other thoroughfares, like paint strokes of pure light. Reviewing Caltech's proposal took the Imagium three years, but in the end, Contrary to all expectations, they couldn't find fault with it and gave it the blessing of exemption. Two years later, the framework for the world's first spell-assisted commuter system was complete, and after two more years of private testing, the lightways were open to commuter traffic. The system used a network of gigans to fuel powerful conjuration enchantments. Enchanted sections of the civic grid, or light points, could conjure incredibly dense standing kinetic fields to create roads and guardrails to relieve traffic congestion. Each light point had signs showing where the conjured roads would lead, and signals showing how long they would admit traffic. The roads would not disappear if they detected vehicles or people on them, and there were a number of redundancies to avoid road collapse even in the event of a grid outage. Glowing glamour magic illustrated the roads and could be coordinated to match events or holidays. Some even displayed murals on their underpasses. Tonight, they were embellished with jack-o'-lanterns, Gaelic and Wiccan symbols relating to Sawin and Die de Muertes Calaveras. It was a staggering feat of magic that made Sevardin proud to be a member of the Imagium. When Sev first received permission to leave the Imagium in his weekday off-hours at age 18, his parents gifted him with a sensible sedan. But at the time, Sev was really into bikes, and, risking the displeasure of his parents, sold the car to buy his first bike. He beat himself up for it, before, during, and after the purchase. But the first time he hit the lightways on that thing, he knew he had made the right decision. It was a new kind of magic, one that transcended weirds altogether. And, to his surprise, when he used that story to explain his decision to his parents, they understood. Sevardin cut to the leftmost lane of the 101, taking the ephemeral off-ramp that led directly to Olympic to accommodate the fright fair. By the time he had pulled off near L.A. Live, the road had been defaced with a string of tags. 
somewhat inevitably, hedge witches had figured out ways to tag the temporary roads with spells from cracked licenses and illicit use of exempt glamour magic. Tagging spell roads had become something of a sport for the city's gangs and daredevils. I love this city. I don't want to see it burn. 5.40 p.m. Los Angeles. L.A. Live. Sev parked his bike a few blocks away west from the center of Live and started heading to the party on foot, drawn like a moth to the movie premiere-styled searchlights. Live always struck Sev as an oddity. It was a civic works project designed to be Los Angeles' answer to Manhattan's Times Square. But again, Los Angeles isn't New Amsterdam. The meager public transit system made it more sore thumb than entertainment destination. The parking situation was difficult and expensive. Live was also surrounded by squalor. Tent cities that could shame refugee camps surrounded it to the south, east, and west. And the relentless branding of the theaters, clubs, and colossal sports arena never appealed to Sev. But he couldn't deny the place was stimulating. Bright lights, big crowds, emanators and speakers, blasting rock and pop to suit the holiday. The parking lots adjacent to the convention center were chock-a-block with food trucks, and each corner had a cart vendor selling bacon-wrapped sausages topped with fried onions and peppers, tahine-rimmed fruit cups, and Mexican street corn. The aroma was dizzying. He hadn't been able to eat earlier, but now his stomach was clawing its way up his throat. Ah, screw it. I have a lot of time to kill. Sev cut through the crowd and stepped up to the nearest vendor. Excuse me, Sev said. I'd like one of those and a cola, please. The vendor, a sun-beaten immigrant, nodded. Everything? Sevardin nodded and handed the guy a twenty. The guy started fishing change out of his apron, but Sevardin shook his head and emanated for him to keep it. Forsyth forced the team to go home at noon and get some sleep until 5 p.m. They suspected that Dessen wouldn't arrive a moment before 11 p.m., but to be safe, they wanted the bulk of the plainclothes detectives present at 6 p.m. when the festival officially began. Uniformed keepers and Asphalus police officers had been heavily patrolling the area since late in the morning. But there was no sign of Dessen, his faithful, or anyone else on the scene. What are you supposed to be? Sev spun around to find Dell wearing a pirate costume, keeper's licenses concealed by puffy sleeves. She had her authentic Amagium saber on her hip, glamoured to look like an oversized plastic cutlass, which struck Sev as a clever way to wear her melee weapon. Sev had his lock revolver in an underarm holster under his jacket. I'm a detective, obviously, Savardin said wryly, pulling a magnifying glass out of his jacket pocket, which was the sum total of his costume. The only article of clothing Sev owned that was large enough to cover his licenses was a black leather jacket with zippered sleeves. He actually bought it for himself as a graduation present, just in case he was tapped for plainclothes work, though he did not expect to use it for years, if ever. I see you're really getting into character, Dell said, nodding at his bacon dog. Hard to be prepared on an empty stomach, Sev said, and offered Dell a bite. She emanated thanks, but shook her head and waved him away. I feel sick to my stomach, she confessed. 
I did too, at home. But you can't say no to a bacon dog. Dell gave him a questioning look and snickered. Sev was almost offended. What? No, seriously. How can you say no to this? He took a bite and looked disapprovingly at Dell. You speak to the event ops yet? Savardin asked. Event ops was code for the task force's HQ. The software company that funded Live's construction owned a terrace overlooking the square. It had a broad veranda that could provide sight lines leading through the constellation of screens and lighting array towers that populated Live Square. Yeah, new orders. Swallow this. Dell handed Sev a pill the size of a grain of rice. And don't bother them. She stood on her tippy toes to reach Sevarden's ear. Boss doesn't want to draw attention to the staging area. Sev felt his cheeks go hot as Dell's breath brushed his ear. Be cool, man. This is completely coincidental. He lowered his gaze to the pill. What does this do? Isn't experimentation one of life's greatest pleasures? Dell said, cocking an eyebrow. Sevarden shrugged and popped the pill. A second later, he could hear Forsyth's voice in his head, clear as day. Ah, Harker, welcome to the soiree. Sev slowly turned to look at Dell, wounded, incredulous, and disappointed. You put our boss inside my head? Sevarden gestured. Can he hear me? Not unless you want him to, Dell said. At least, I don't think he can. Greatest pleasure's my ass, Savardin snapped verbally. Then he directed his thoughts toward Forsyth. Happy to be here, boss. Forsyth seemed amused. Indeed, the Fright Fair's schedule is as follows. Family carnival from sundown, food trucks, hand dancers, midway games, and other rubbish, until 9 p.m., when the Fright feature starts. What's playing? Savardin asked, both aloud and so Forsyth could hear him. Again, Forsyth seemed to mentally chuckle. A rarity. A recent respectable Hollywood adaptation of a Japanese modern classic. Savardin drew his head back and chuckled. Even though Forsyth was speaking mentally, he managed to be cryptic enough with his thoughts to avoid giving away the name of the film. The Ring? Savardin guessed. Forsyth was pleased. Ah, a fellow connoisseur? Savardin shook his head and smiled. Well, my best friend, my partner, is a major cinephile. Doesn't let me miss a good one. Forsyth emanated approval in his head. That's a good man. Savardin felt somewhat reassured. It was hard to imagine Forsyth having any kind of hobby, but hearing he was a horror fan seemed to make several puzzle pieces fall into place. For a moment, his distrust of the man relaxed. He was even able to forget why they were there. But upon realizing it, he felt a pang of guilt. Forsyth, are we really using these people as bait? There was a long pause. Sev smiled at the festival-goers that passed by him, looked at the actual event staff who wore black jumpsuits and matching oni masks. All innocent, all at risk. Yes, Savardin clenched his teeth. Do you think he'll actually show up? Yes, Sev nodded.
I've got to confess. Our orders seem awfully vague. Like, isn't there any possible way we can divert the crowd? Savardin scanned the crowd. Kids, families, teenagers, young couples and college kids with too much time on their hands. No. Savardin guarded his thoughts as best he could, closing his mind to Forsyth. God damn you! Whatever happens tonight is on you. He relaxed his protections, unsure whether Forsyth heard him or not, and then tried speaking again. There has to be something else we can— Forsyth cut him off. There is not, Officer Harker. I have contingencies in place to mitigate the damage. But we cannot squander the opportunity to lure Dessen and his followers into a confrontation. Not on this timetable. Again, Savardin attempted to close his mind to Forsyth's. What happens if I just shout? What would you do to me if I just decided to shout warnings into the crowd? We haven't cancelled the festival. We haven't broken our terms. Though it sounded dumb even as he thought it. They aren't Faye, Sev. Forsyth spoke again. I take your silence to mean that you are desperately trying to think of alternatives. Sev froze, maintaining his silence. Harker, if you can think of a way to protect the crowd without compromising this operation, I am all ears, truly. But lives will likely be lost tonight. The choice I need you to make is whether you will help me save others or not. Sev perceived a subtext to the speech Forsyth projected. My contingencies are expensive, and they account for potential disobedience. Sevarden bowed his head and thought at Forsyth. You couldn't keep me away. A mental smile. I don't doubt it. 11.12 p.m. Los Angeles. Live Square. The crowd at Live Square thinned considerably when the movie ended at ten past eleven, as most of the families and trick-or-treaters called it a night. But those who remained were drunker and slightly more belligerent. A DJ took to the elevated stage and started hyping up the crowd for the all-night dance macabre. Christ, it's almost quarter past, and still no sign of Dessen. Did his patron talk him down, or was this all a bluff? Sev threaded through the crowd on the dance floor, nakedly searching. He knew he probably looked like a cop at that point, but he didn't care. Many of the attendees were masked, and he doubted Dessen would waste the opportunity to hide himself. His eyes were repeatedly drawn to the stage, but he missed the moment that one of the staffers dressed in the black Oni mask stepped onto the stage. The DJ looked over, a question on his face. The man came over and placed a hand on his shoulder, saying something. The DJ nodded slowly, and the staffer retreated. The music faded somewhat as he addressed the crowd. Happy Sawin, Los Angeles! How you living? The crowd roared at the call and response. We've got something really special for you this evening. First of all, I'd like to give a shout-out to all the keepers in the crowd tonight. Thank you for your service. The words flash-froze Savardin's spine. The crowd seemed miffed by the sudden shout-out, answering with a smattering of applause and some whistles. Right? 
these selfless, courageous scholar-warriors who keep us safe from ourselves. These saints among men, keeping the monsters at bay, enforcing the unassailable wisdom of the Arshans. Now the crowd was extremely confused. There were a few boos, some laughter, and lots of, what the hell is this guy talking about? Sevardin was already moving for the stage. He caught a glimpse of Dell from the other side of the square, wearing a mask of desperation that mirrored Sevardin's own expression. The DJ continued speaking as the intro to Kane and Fingers, Painted Black, started playing. I'd like to dedicate this next song to those noble tyrants. Let's kill it, Los Angeles! The DJ pushed the volume on the speakers and emanators to their absolute maximum. The bass thudded against Sevardin's chest, and the manic anger and rebellion of Kane and Fingers' emanations throbbed in his weird. Then the screaming started. The four uniformed police officers stationed at either end of the stage drew their sidearms and started firing into the crowd with robotic, dead-eyed precision. Simultaneously, several members of the crowd, mostly those in the mosh pit, went berserk. They attacked with lethal but indiscriminate purpose. Sev saw a hulking man dressed as a patchwork man grip a teenage mermaid, possibly his own daughter, by the face, and smash her head against one of the metal legs of a light tower. Nearby, a young woman dressed as a pixie drove the nose of her beer bottle into her date's eye socket and broke it off. On reflex, Savardin used a kinetic animus to cast a barrier contract in front of the two police shooters closest to him. He made the barrier broad and softer than usual. If he tried to intercept the shots at a dead stop, the spell would only withstand a couple shots before exhausting itself. Instead, he specified that the barrier should merely cut the bullet's velocity, hopefully resulting in non-lethal impacts. He saw Dell break through the crowd, guarding herself with a sorceress barrier as she charged at the two shooters on her end of the stage. They didn't seem to see her coming, and she was able to easily disarm one, knock out the other, and then knock out the first with a quick chain of urodensis. Dessen doesn't have enough attention to control this many people with much fidelity. He can just give them raw, basic commands like kill or protect yourself. They also aren't trained to fight and defend themselves like a magia. Only problem is, there's no way to tell who is affected. Sev continued pushing through the crowd. When there was an opening he fired a tremendous kinetic bolt at the shooter to the right. It struck home and left him momentarily stunned. Meanwhile, he lunged through the front of the crowd, tackling the other shooter around the waist. His head struck the railing around the stage. Sev reached into his weird with his own and channeled a powerful sedative effect directly into his body. The other shooter had recovered and retrained his weapon on Savardin, only for a second kinetic bolt to strike him. Sev traced the spell to Trina Moss, approaching through the crowd. One of the moshers grabbed her from behind, but she used an Aikido shoulder throw to get him down. Forsyth, if you have any kind of plan, now is the time! The carnage continued for two impossibly dense seconds before the stage exploded with magic. A powerful contract unleashed an etheric ripple that swept through the square. It cut off the music abruptly and the myriad lights around Live and the surrounding buildings went out in a wave. Simultaneously, 
most of the crowd fell to the ground as if they had been struck dead. A sedative bomb, smart, can't be dominated if you aren't conscious. It must have knocked out the power as well, though. The lightways passing adjacent to Live Square all turned a brilliant red and yellow, a klaxon blaring. Exit immediately. Power error. Exit immediately. Power error. Exit. Sev heard Forsyth's voice in his head. The spell targeted everyone with Asphalus licenses. Those remaining are either Amagia or Xenomancers. Hold your fire, identify your targets, and eliminate them. Sevardin whirled around, trying to assess who was friend or foe amongst those left standing when something caustic struck his brow, burned his weird, and sent him spinning to the ground. No ripple. Xenomancy. How are you supposed to block this shit? One of the Xenomancers, a white woman, late thirties or early forties, strode towards Sev, her face lit with menace. Then there was a gunshot and her right kneecap exploded. She tripped with an anguished cry and toppled onto the pile of unconscious bodies that littered the square. A hand gripped Sev's armpit, pulling him to his feet. He looked to see a pseudo holding a nine-millimeter pistol, dressed in a doctor's coat. Get up! As Sev rose, he saw another xenomancer, a lanky teen, approaching from a pseudo's rear, hands stretched out. Sev gripped a pseudo by the arm and yanked him out of the xenomancer's line of fire. Again, there was no ripple, but one of the prone bodies on the square spouted blood as silent magic cut into it. Sevardin returned fire with a kinetic bolt at center mass, holding nothing back. The teenager's ribcage crumpled inward, and he coughed blood before joining the heap of bodies on the square. Oh God, I killed him. I actually killed... An enraged howl escaped the teen's throat, and he pushed himself back off the bodies, body popping and crunching as his ribcage torqued back into place. He vomited another gout of blood and looked at Sev with murder. Sev raised a barrier on instinct, just in time, too. There was no ripple, but he felt a lash of xenomancy impact his weird. A burning sensation that could have been hot or cold. A caustic nothingness that rattled his senses. They can heal, Sev shouted. Yeah, I noticed, a pseudo said from behind him. Steel whistled behind Savardin. As he turned to assess the threat, there was a rush of air and a black blur streaked by him, straight toward the teenage Xenomancer. Forsyth! The keeper drew the blade from his stave in a decisive, keening stroke. The top of the teenager's head spun into the air as his body sagged. Sev looked back and noticed that Forsyth had decapitated Asudo's opponent as well. Both Asudo and Savardin turned to face him, expressions awed and horrified in equal measure. Regrettably, we need to be thorough, Forsyth said. Heads, hearts, necks. And he was gone again, flashing toward another cluster of opponents. It was hard to tell the Imagia apart from the Xenomancers mid-fray, though the latter were generally younger. Time for Act Two. A male voice boomed in Sev's head, it was like a clairvoyant shout. Sevardin whirled and spied a black-masked figure standing on top of the stage's lighting array. Disson has to be, 
Savardin drew his lock revolver from his shoulder harness. But before he could take a shot, the sky seemed to explode. A storm of egregores, like hairless wolves with chiropteran wings, descended on the square, attacking the Imagia who were distracted by the xenomancers or feasting on the unconscious bodies. Fun thing about egregores, Dessen continued to speak non-verbally. They are so easy to dominate compared to people. And given my gifts, they're like clay. I can mix them and match them, mold them to suit my purposes. One cluster of the bat-winged dogs began to violently shake, their bodies contorted and skewed as if sucked by an invisible straw, then converged on a single point, forming a mass of flesh. The pulsating mass popped, revealing a towering centaur-like creature with four arms that each ended in bundles of spikes. It had no head, but its body was dotted with yellow eyes and fanged maws. The beast reared on its hind legs, still standing amidst the sea of unconscious bodies coating the square. After him! Forsyth bellowed with a sorcery-assisted shout. I will clear the square! Sev turned back to the stage just in time to see Dessen leap from the top of the lights, landing behind the stage. Sevardin broke into a messy run, nearly tripping over the prone bodies around him. He rounded the stage, nearly running head first into another egregore, a biped with fists that could crush his head between two fingers. Sev sideswiped himself with a draft of sorcery, narrowly dodging the thing's fists as they slammed into the concrete. Sivardin planted his feet on the ground and reached to the sole fire animus he brought that night. Before the creature could recover, Sev pressed his right palm against the thing's cold, slimy flank. He visualized a sequence of runic symbols in his head to appease the spirit and gave it a single, desperate command. Burn! Sev cried out as heat surged through his hand and weird, blisters instantly appearing on his palms and fingertips with the intense heat transfer. The egregore's black flesh was briefly backlit with orange, revealing a glimpse of an unnatural interlaced ribcage before its entire body erupted with crimson magic-enriched fire. Its torso burst apart and its body vanished. Dessen's voice spoke in Sivardin's head again. Sivardin Harker! I wasn't sure it was you back there in the storage unit, but it is, isn't it? Sev spun, still holding his lock revolver. It was impossible to tell where Dessen's voice was coming from, given the lack of sound and emanations. He saw that Asudo, Trina, and Dell had caught up and were also giving chase. This way, children! Dessen's mental voice shouted for all to hear again. From the other side of the street, the glass wall that comprised the entrance to the logistic arena shattered, showering the street with glass. Oh, good. I'm sure this isn't a trap. Asudo muttered. Keep moving, Dell said, keeper's saber drawn, now free of the cutlass glamour. Sev, give us barriers. Trina, strength. Asudo, speed. I've got optics. They rushed toward the building in a diamond formation, each working on their assigned enhancement contracts. By the time they crossed the street and hit the arena, they could hit harder, move faster, take a beating and see in the dark. Sevardin felt a surge of courage as the positive contracts layered on him. 
For a moment, the group of them felt like a single being, a responsive body united by resolute purpose. The entrance was flanked by a lengthy escalator at rest. It was a space designed for crowds, and in their absence, the place felt oppressively empty. The trio jogged around a corner to the first access tunnel, leading to center court. Dell gestured for them to enter, and raised a hand for them to slow their advance. They moved in with Savardin covering their rear. As they crept through the tunnel, they could hear rustling and unintelligible but gleeful emanations. Dell's vision contract rendered the entire arena in monochromatic lines, giving it a surreal, wireframe-like appearance. They entered the arena, and there was Dessen, standing at center court. Congratulations, keepers! You caught me, he said, holding out his wrists for a pair of cuffs. Asudo, Trina, and Sev all raised their guns, while Dell maintained a sorceress barrier with one hand and held her sword in the other. Then she turned around and hacked into Trina's throat. There was an awful split second where her blade got caught in between her vertebrae. Dell grunted, continued the cut, and severed Trina's head. Horror and hesitation stole the last of Asudo's life. Sev was still shouting at Dell when she took another step backward and buried her blade beneath Asudo's ribcage at an upward angle. Dell moved his body to act as a shield against Sev, effortlessly holding him impaled on her sword with one arm. No! Christ, Dell! Sev retreated into the bleachers, scrambling behind seats as he fired a wild, desperate shot at Dessen. Dessen laughed and continued to speak in Sevardin's head. I'd shoot at her if I were you. Sevardin narrowly dodged a flurry of slashes from Dell, who had shed Asudo's body and was now hot on his heels. He had to deflect her final thrust with the barrel of his revolver and barely managed to force her back with a kinetic burst of sorcery. Shit, shit, shit. Sev jumped over one row of seats and dove for the court. Here's the thing, Harker. I figured you would come up with some kind of cute knockout bomb to take care of my vassals. But that just leaves me with more bandwidth to work with. See, controlling two bodies at once is child's play. In fact... Sev felt the voice in his head become a claw. On instinct, he turned his weird inward, trying to shield his mind from the sudden intrusion. He staggered backwards... Dessen's will was strong, but he managed to insulate himself just quickly enough to maintain control of his faculties. Oh, he's clever, but how long can you hold out? But the distraction bought Dell enough time to rake her sword across Sev's chest. As soon as he felt the pain, he focused his weird inward again, guessing correctly that Dessen would try to intrude the moment he felt the pain. Again, he kept the domination at bay, but Dell was still advancing. Dell, you can fight this! It's your mind! Your body! Dell lunged with a reckless, deliberately unguarded thrust, and Sev's training took over. He leveled his lock and fired. The enormous bullet punched a gory hole in her belly. The impact was enough to drop her to the floor. But she pushed herself up, still holding her sword, and planted her free hand on the wound. Dessen walked behind Dell, and now extended his hand outward toward her, his eyes closed. 
He's healing her and controlling her at once. Now's my chance. Sev dashed at a diagonal to get a sight line on Desson, and then opened fire. Four of his remaining seven rounds slammed into Desson's body. Dell's body dropped back to the floor, her wound reopening. Desson hissed and lashed out with a xenomantic wave of force that would have cleaved Seven half if it weren't for his barrier contract and the seats in front of him. Fuck you! She can bleed out then! Desson shouted verbally. He probably can't heal himself and her simultaneously. But I'm empty and I don't have much time. The holes in Desson's shoulder, chest, and thigh had almost completely healed. Sevardin ran toward Dell's body, grabbing her and retreating behind another row of seats. Desson's healing mitigated the injury's severity, but she was still steadily losing blood. Might have hit her liver. Fuck, fuck. Sevardin had air, earth, water, optics, and one kinetic anima left. Nothing I can use to cauterize the wound. It was also unclear whether her internal organs had been repaired by Desson's healing. Damn shame, Desson called out loud. Nimsy Drew has a nice body. I was thinking about keeping her. You can never have too many pets. He likes to talk. I need to stall him. Others are coming. I need to keep him occupied. I don't understand, Sev shouted. She doesn't have your mark. The mark just makes things easier, Harker. I thought you'd have figured that out. It lets me use them at range, put them into stasis. I can still dominate people just fine the old-fashioned way. Also, I can apply my mark pretty quickly now. Only takes about three seconds of contact. Wanna see? Again, Desson tried to dominate Sev. It was like somebody was threading white-hot metal wire through his synapses. He resisted, but just barely this time, and the xenomantic magic was exhausting his weird quickly. I can't wait. Dell can't wait. He laid Dell prone as she clutched her flank. Knock me out, she grunted. Or put me down. Not a chance, Sev said. It was the smart thing to do. She was a liability as long as she was awake. But Sev was worried that if she went under, she might never wake up. And we've lost too many people already. Sivardin used his remaining kinetic contract to extend the barrier and reflex enhancements that Asudu and Trina had cast on them. He could feel hints of their weirds within the lingering spells, his dry and crisp, hers effervescent and cheerful. I carry the last pieces of them with me. Desson shouted some kind of taunt and fired another blast of xenomantic sorcery at the stands, destroying two of the seats Sivardin was ducked behind. Now or never. Sevardin threw his empty revolver as a decoy, then dashed out from behind the seats in the opposite direction, heading straight for Desson. Can't risk any more contracts unless he does something really stupid. Need to save my weird for protecting my body and mind. Desson, now fully healed, whipped his hands to the left and right, each gesture casting undetectable streaks of sharpened kinetic energy at Sevardin as he charged. Sev took the hits in sequence and grit his teeth against the coldness that tore into his weird. After the third blow, he managed to close the distance between them. 
he swung Dell's saber horizontally with all his might. It was a good, clean stroke. If I can do enough damage with one hit, he'll be too busy healing himself to strike back. The blind charge had taken Dessen by surprise. He raised his hand to defend against the cut, but his barrier came late and was ill-formed. The blade chopped off his right arm at the bicep and buried itself high on his ribcage. Dessen screamed. The sound was warped, however, louder than it should have been, and the entirety of the vibration seemed to converge on Sev's body. The blast knocked him halfway across the court in an instant. He lost his grip on Dell's sword, which went skittering out of reach. Okay, now I'm kinda pissed, Dessen snarled. He took a few steps back and healed his ribs before starting on his arm. Sevardin forced himself back on his feet, but he was spent. Dessen would expect another charge, and Irudensis alone wouldn't be enough to overwhelm him with that monstrous power. I don't have anything else. A familiar, maddeningly calm voice called from the tunnel. Your wretches are dead, Dessen. Forsyth. Dessen shot a glance toward the direction of the voice. Then he turned and tried to seize control of Savardin's mind again. Sev's weird throbbed, sundered by an excruciating sensation. It felt like his brain was being raked by barbed wire coated in lye. So are yours, Dessen returned. Forsyth strode into the arena, looking at a pocket watch. He stopped abruptly when he saw a pseudo and Trinus corpses. His impassive expression darkened. He closed his watch and pushed it back into his pocket before kneeling to their bodies. He placed his palm on the pool of their mingled blood, which began to glow a lurid purple color. The blood quickly shaped itself into a precisely formed circle, embellished with runes as well as alchemical and astrological symbols. Blood magic? Any magic fueled by harm, sacrifice, or death was strictly illegal. Even keepers' licenses prevented Amagia from assessing the principles and powers necessary to perform such feats. Doesn't seem to be a problem for foresight, though. The bloody alchemical array glowed an intense, eye-searing violet. After a second, the blood crawled off the floor, up Forsyth's arm, and spread across his clothed body in a series of elaborate tattoos before evaporating. Harker, where is Hopkins? Forsyth asked. Savardin shot a glance at the bleachers, still breathing heavily. Forsyth checked his pocket watch again. Protect her. Protect yourself. But do not attempt to interfere. Sev nodded, but had no idea how to retreat. Forsyth was at least fifty yards away, with obstacles between them. How the hell am I supposed to escape? Wait your fucking turn, bitch! Dessen snapped at Forsyth and launched himself at Savardin. Mid-flight, he used telekinetic sorcery to yank Del's saber into his hand. Shit! Savardin crossed his arms in front of himself, gathering his remaining power to defend against the incoming blow. But Dessen's repeated attempts at domination had injured his weird. His body was bruised, his mind was exhausted, his casting rhythm had been thrown off, so he didn't even have the necessary erdic momentum to enter Exus. I can't take another hit. This is it.
but the impact never arrived. Metal echoed throughout the empty center as Forsyth appeared in front of Savardin, his sword drawn partway from its stave sheath. How the hell? Dessen held the hilt of Del's saber, but the length of the blade had broken away against Forsyth's weapon. He was thirty yards away from me. Dessen took a step back, surprised and disgusted. Forsyth drew the rest of his strange, cross-gripped, pencil-straight sword, still holding the stave in his other hand in a reverse grip. Don't try to retreat, Forsyth said calmly, turning his head towards Savardin ever so slightly. Just keep yourself and Hopkins out of harm's way. Savardin emanated confirmation and retreated to the bleachers where Dell lingered on the edge of consciousness as Dessen and Forsyth squared off. Dessen held Dell's broken weapon and stretched his hand away from the hilt. A gritty black metal materialized out of thin air, creating a long, wickedly hooked and serrated blade in place of the saber that had broken off. Spontaneously conjuring matter! Magic like that bordered on myth. Certain people had a gift that allowed them to create temporary etheric constructs, but vanishingly few could do it without the assistance of an animus. This is some kind of nightmare. Forsyth smiled and walked forward, steady and calm. Dessen tried to answer with a broad horizontal slash, only for Forsyth to strike him in the jaw with his stave in a blink. The crack echoed throughout the arena. Dessen staggered sideways, and before he could recover, Forsyth struck him again in the temple and then drew the stave up against his chin with a savage upward swing. His sword arm had not moved at all. Dessen resorted to another explosive yell, propelling himself backwards while the concentrated sound waves slammed against Forsyth's weird. But the CIC agent didn't even flinch. Growling, Dessen slashed his arms back and forth like he was trying to claw holes in the air. Sevardin couldn't see or feel the magic itself, but even from the bleachers he could feel the displaced wind from the silent sorcery's impact. Forsyth held his stave behind him and raised his sword in front of himself, perfectly upright. None of the xenomantic slashes seemed to touch him, even though they tore the surrounding cord apart. Dessen lobbed a globe of blue fire at Forsyth, which exploded violently, obscuring the court with smoke and cinders. A second later... Forsyth used a gale-force gust of urtic power to clear the air. Dessen had switched his position and now stood on the far side of Forsyth. He held something in his hand. Figured out your trick, Dessen said, triumphant. He thrust his fist forward, revealing the long white bow that had held Forsyth's braid in place. This pretty bow has an enormous amount of power. I'm guessing it enhances your reflexes, strength, and gives you some kind of barrier. The usual keeper kit. Gone now, though. He dropped it and smirked. Oops. Let's see how well you fight without. Forsyth stood still as his braid unraveled. His mouth twitched into a disgusted frown. Sivardin tried not to lock up with fear. Was that the source of his strength? Christ! He was our trump card. We don't stand. But as Sev watched the scene, 
the energy coming off the ribbon dropped precipitously, and, as it faded, the ribbon darkened from white to black. Simultaneously, the color receded from Forsyth's hair, tips to roots. In the space of a second, his ink-black mane turned paper-white, and then his weird exploded. It expanded outward, consuming the entire court and the first few rows of seats. In the bleachers, Sevardin felt an overwhelming urtic pressure. Just sitting upright was like walking against a gale. Desson's face switched from triumph to horror. Dell looked up at the force, still clutching the wound in her flank. Here we were both having a lovely time, Forsyth sighed. The world seemed to stutter, like a film skipping frames. Forsyth suddenly stood in front of Desson, close and tender as a lover, with his hand on Desson's cheek. But you had to break the rules. Forsyth placed the index finger of his other hand against Desson's sternum. There was a ripple like a thundercrack, and then Desson was gone. The world dropped another frame, and when it resumed, he had struck the bleachers three rows up, back first. His ribcage had a horrifying unnatural dent in it, and his limbs were comparably mangled. He twitched as he struggled to breathe, then retched blood on himself. Forsyth seemed to have forgotten all about him. The higher-ups won't be happy. He sighed, and then turned to Savardin in the stands. It wasn't my fault this time. Awful little whelp just had to give it a tug. You'll tell them, won't you, Harker? You'll vouch for me? Sev simply stared. Threads of a silver smoke-like substance drifted from Forsyth's body, trailing his movements before evaporating. Is that a glamour? No. His weird is so dense that it is visible, even at rest. What the hell are you? You! Desson rasped, standing slowly, with a hand on his chest, repairing the damage from whatever Forsyth did to him. You were hiding it! Forsyth looked over at Desson mildly, then turned back to Sev. Seems we're not done. A moment. Desson used xenomantic sorcery to leap from the bleachers back onto the court. Upon landing, a wave of jagged concrete erupted from beneath the ruined wood, surging toward Forsyth. Another dropped frame. Forsyth clapped his hand against the pommel of his stave sword, and a cannon blast of urdic power reduced the approaching swell of spikes into gravel and splinters. The rush of air from the forestalled impact cast his white hair behind him in a flare. Forsyth stepped to one side, then appeared on the other, closing the distance between himself and Desson in a blink. I hid nothing. You're merely a fool. He drove his sword through Desson's ribs at an upward angle, other arm holding the stave sheath behind his back. He pulled the blade close, bringing Desson's face near his, and hissed. You literally cannot imagine somebody beating your ill-gotten, ill-fathomed powers. So you assumed that I had to cheat. But if you were really paying attention... Forsyth withdrew his blade, and then seemed to swish it across Desson's body with a sort of lazy grace. It was a flashy, effortless flourish. Three strokes. 
The first swoosh cut Desson's left ankle out from under him. Before the boy could even lose balance, the second swish claimed his right hand at the wrist, and the final sweep back to the left slashed his neck. You might have figured out I was fighting with my hands tied behind my back. Desson seemed to fall apart all at once. He hit the ground, gargling, but managed to patch his throat back with his one good hand. It doesn't make sense. Those movements were far too quick to cut deep, let alone sever limbs. Unless it has a Vorpal Edge enchantment. Vorpal blades could kill a person with an accidental nick. The physics behind it were beyond Sev's ken, but the enchantment exponentially force-magnified the force behind a stroke, while imparting a molecular keenness to the blade. Bestowing a Vorpal Edge on a sword was Entropathy one, twenty-five years to start, and an automatic life sentence if the weapon was used in a crime. Forsyth yawned. Desson heaved in the air and scrambled to his feet, back toward the bleachers, then reached to heal his other hand. The sinews, flesh, and bones started to grow back as they had done before, but they came slower this time, in a sort of pulsating stutter. And then they began to change. His new bones gleamed like black crystal, and the muscles that enveloped them were bleach-white, and in place of skin, a smooth, chitinous material began to scab over the flesh. Desson stopped, horrified. The strange flesh receded, reversing the healing, until his human arm ended in a stump. He recoiled as it stopped, and severe bruises blossomed all over his body. What did you do to me? He screeched, straining his newly healed throat. Forsyth chuckled and turned back to Sev. He slid his saber back inside its cross-handled stave. He thinks I cheated again. Oh, irony. Another dropped frame. Forsyth had once again closed the distance between them, and the blunt-ended shaft of his stave had punctured Desson's right breast. The boy tried to scream, but his voice seemed to pop instead. Forsyth smiled. Trust me, boy. You don't want to see me when I cheat. Sevardin was transfixed. He could only watch as Forsyth tore his staff upward, breaking through Desson's highest rib and clavicle. No vorpal edge to explain that. He isn't human. As the boy pitched forward, Forsyth caught him by the neck and effortlessly held him up like a doll. You did it to yourself. All of it. Every trace of emotion drained from Forsyth's voice. Even his posh accent seemed to disappear. Then he smiled again. Did you honestly believe you could wield such power without a cost? My lord! Striped man! Desson choked. He begged with his weird, tried to free his throat with his right hand and left stump. Kill this filth! He screamed, sobbing. Protect your prophet! Forsyth made a disgusted noise and emanated revulsion. You had the will to disobey your godlike benefactor, yet you can't even own up to your choice. Have some dignity. Sevardin was paralyzed, transfixed with horror. Dell emanated confusion and questions. What's happening? 
she asked. I honestly don't know, Savardin said. A message to your master, Forsyth said, still holding the boy up by his neck. Try harder. You keep going on about the inevitable and how we are late, we are late, we are late, yet I am the one who grows tired of waiting. Do you hear me, striped man? Because I always keep my appointments. Abandon your aspirations for this world, or find better help. Forsyth clenched Desson's Adam's apple in his fist and violently twisted his arm, ripping it free from the man's throat. Desson's torn neck couldn't support the weight of his body, which fell wetly from Forsyth's fist to the ruined court. Forsyth whipped his hand to the side, casting Desson's voice box into the bleachers. Without another gesture or discernible incantation, an obscene fire contract sprang to life and Desson's maimed course ignited like magnesium. It took Sev nearly half a minute to be sure he hadn't been permanently blinded. His vision-enhancing contract sacrificed itself to protect his eyes. Luck and mercy. If it was a vindictive animus, it could have just as easily used its power to amplify the flash, which would have fried his corneas instantly. As the spots receded, Savardin saw a few cinders lingering at the far end of the court, casting a dim orange glow across the arena. Forsyth knelt in front of it, hacking violently. His hair was black again. Does he need help? Is it even safe to approach him? Savardin looked back at Dell. There was still color in her cheeks, and the rhythm of her breathing and urtic respiration had stabilized. Is he dead? Dell asked. Savardin nodded. Harker! <laughs> Hopkins! Forsyth called, only for his voice to dissolve into a coughing fit. Don't move, Savardin said to Dell, and she gestured something to the effect of no shit. Savardin grinned, then stood and descended from the stands to approach Forsyth. As the adrenaline faded, the severity of Sev's injuries started to make themselves known. His right femur was badly bruised, possibly even had a hairline fracture. Every step was agony. Forsyth picked up his stave and used it to pry himself off his knees. He turned to Savardin with a weary grin. He looked like hell had tried to digest him and spat him back out, bloodshot eyes, bloody ears, nose and mouth, still breathing heavily. His veins bulged beneath his drawn skin, as if straining for release. Are you all right? Savardin asked, though his brain crackled with a storm of other questions. What the hell was that? What happened to you? What are you? Perfectly stable, Forsyth confirmed. After some rest, I'll be right as rain. I imagine you have questions, but I need to make a great many phone calls. And you both need to see a Medithurge. Savardin nodded, but was unable to keep quiet. How did you do that? Forsyth's mouth twitched into a smirk. Magic. Anno Amagium. Written by Hank Whitson. Narrated by Dan Lawson.